Well, a couple of months ago, Bobby Rains. I like because he's wondering what I'm about to say right now. Bobby Rains sent me a simple text message. Oh my God, have you seen the church Facebook page? Now that's a loaded question, <laughs> if ever there was one. I had not seen it. I don't see Facebook, really. My columns and talks will post there automatically, but it's not a format that I enjoy all that much. In fact, I rejoined Facebook a few weeks ago to keep track of my son Bryce's basic training platoon, but deleted the app after a full five minutes because I just couldn't take it. <clears throat> I feel like an old grandpa. How does this work? And speaking of too much... My God, have you seen the church Facebook page? There was a link there that appeared harmless enough, informative even. My name, RonnieMcBrayer.net. But that is not the online address for yours truly on the World Wide Web. A few years ago when I was building my little online home, I secured my name with .com, with .org, .me, but net wasn't available at the time, so I let it slide. I'm not that important, and there might be maybe one other person in the world that shares my name, so no big deal, right? Wrong. My cadre of digital attorneys, online consultants, and website advisors now tell me that there are some real creepy dudes out there who run these algorithms at their house or their basement or wherever they live looking for websites that generate a good bit of traffic. And apparently mine has met their threshold. And then they go and look and see if they can find a website that almost matches that particular site, and they did. And they secure that address and they build their own little house with your name on it on the internet, but it belongs, shall we say, in the red light district of town. <laughs> My God, have you seen the church <laughs> Facebook page? There was my name with a web address, address that looked eerily similar to mine. You click on the site and you are taken to a page with great large red smooching lips and a phone number, 188869Kelly, among other numbers. Hello, my name is Ronnie, it says, and I want to tell you about the free phone sex number I know of. I'll give you the number right afterwards. It's all right. I'll not dignify the page further by showing it to you or reading more about it. It's still out there. I have spent to date thousands of dollars over the last couple of months trying to gain control of it, but so far have been unable to do so. And even after acquiring the site, which I have recently, those creepy extorting dudes on the Internet have jammed up the transfer code so that I can't get my hands on the actual site, even though I have paid for it. Fingers crossed, I'm attempting a new tactic this week to clear my name, and maybe, uh, maybe it'll work. So let me say publicly today that RonnieMcBrayer.net is not me. And those of us in the ministerial business, unless you're a televangelist, of course, you don't make a whole lot of money, but I have not resorted 
to working 900 numbers to make a little extra cash. Now, Bobby's, I mean, who has time and energy for that, really? Bobby's first thought was, hey, you know, you've had this surgery, you can't preach, you can't play guitar, you can't type, you can't write. Maybe he's working. I don't know. No. What a uniquely strange 21st century crime this is. What an assault on my identity. Or is it? Am I really a phone sex worker? No, I am not. Am I really a pastor? A writer, a musician? No, not really. These are things I do, the latter, not the former. These are things I do, but they aren't who I am. I talked about this last week. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But who is this person you know as yourself? If you don't know that person, or if by chance you secretly despise that person, How can you love yourself? How are you capable of loving anyone else? If you are a stranger to yourself, everyone is a stranger. And you're not capable of sharing love or grace with them. You can only give what's inside of you. And I shared a story last week that apparently struck a chord with so many of you because the the, the feedback has been enormous. And it was... Not an original story with me. It was discovered, I discovered it from Anthony DeMello. And he talks about that woman in the coma who is dying. And she rises up to heaven. And when she gets to heaven, she hears God ask her a question. Who are you? And she answers, I am married to the mayor. I'm the mayor's wife. And God says, I didn't ask you who you were married to. Who are you? Well, I'm the mother of four children. I didn't ask what you did at home. Who are you? Well, I'm a school teacher. I didn't ask your occupation. Who are you? I'm a Christian. I didn't ask your religion. And so it goes on and on. Who are you? She fails the examination, but graciously sent back to earth, back to her body to figure out the answer to that question. Who are you? You are not the things you do. You are not the assignments that fate has given you to fulfill. You are not defined by the expectations of others. Thank God you are not a website. You are not the busy activity of daily life. There's more. There is a real person, a soul, beneath all of that. And that person who is buried beneath the busyness encrusted with defense mechanisms. That person who is a dancing clown forced to dance to everyone else's demands. That's not really you. The real person is that fearfully and wonderfully made beloved child of God. Unless you become as a little child, Jesus said, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. It's no wonder he said this. Young children are the only human species left that know how to be themselves. No fear, no struggle, vulnerability, eager to give, eager to laugh, eager to simply be. A child in a safe environment knows that he or she is loved and they thrive, unless you become as a child. Is it any wonder that that's the invitation? It's only when we get older 
And we get busy with relationships and careers and degrees and ambitions, with climbing that ever-escalating mountain, with trying to prove what we know, trying to protect what we have, trying to pay for all of our mistakes and missteps that we lose the wonder of it all. We lose ourselves. But we can find it again. We can recover our childlike loving selves. How do we get back? How do we recover that beloved identity of a child? Well, the lectionary, which I've been following this summer, keeps knocking it out of the park. We arrive at this comparative text between the doer, a woman named Martha, and a beer, her sister, not a beer. Beer, a woman named Mary. Martha appears to be the older of the two. It's in her home that Jesus and his disciples have arrived. Martha is the hostess, attempting to be the hostess with the mostess. And she's working hard. She wants everything to be perfect. Who can blame her? How many of you have ever had a personal visit from Jesus Christ? Sit down in your home. So she's working on the leg of lamb. She's labored over all those casseroles. She's fussed with all of these desserts. She's nearly broken her back, vacuuming the carpet and waxing the floor and cutting the grass. And bless her heart, the sweat dripping from the end of her nose. And no one is lifting a finger to help me. Mary. She's always been a spoiled brat. (laughs) Where is she? She's sitting in there in the living room, surrounded by that troop of 12 lazy men who could eat their weight in fried chicken and mashed potatoes. (laughs) Jesus telling some never-ending story again. And it finally becomes more than Martha can stand. She storms in to the living room and she demands that Jesus tell Mary, To get her butt in gear. (laughs) Dinner parties don't materialize out of thin air. Now, you can wave your hand, turn water into wine, turn stones into bread, turn coasters into biscuits. That's fine. But it don't work like that in the real world, pal. (laughs) Right? Why is Martha so consumed, worried and upset over all of these details, the text says? Well, there was a a lot to do, without a doubt. But more so, there is something in Martha found in many of us. Her only sense is one of doing, not being. She don't know what it's like. She doesn't know what it's like to sit still. She can't. Do you know anybody like that? She can't turn the apparatus off. She does not have that one thing in her life that gives her peace. That's how Jesus put it, this one thing. But he doesn't really say what it is. It's ambiguous. And the older English translations indicate that Jesus was saying only one thing is needed, speaking really in some spiritual terms. But the more recent translations and the more recent translation discoveries are more practical. What Jesus was saying is he wasn't spiritualizing some mysterious something. He was simply saying this. One thing would have been enough. 
I would have been happy with a salad. I didn't need a seven-course meal. Jesus is saying to Martha, essentially, you can impress me because I don't need to be impressed. You're trying too hard. You're working too hard. I believe Jesus would say that to all of us. All this stuff, all this doing, it's getting in the way of simply being. Martha didn't need help with what she was doing. She didn't need Jesus to intervene. She shouldn't have been praying for God to do something for her because I'm so overwhelmed. Well, you're the reason you're overwhelmed. Why would God become an accomplice to your insanity? Are you hearing me? Let it. Let some stuff go. Simplify. Relax. Come here. Sit down for a minute. You know why we don't like to get still? If we get still, we might have to listen. If we get still, we might have to learn to think properly. If we get still, we might have to look inside ourselves. If we get still, we might have to do that inner work which is far harder but more necessary than all the activity that we engage ourselves in. Corrie ten Boom, Dutch Christian, Holocaust survivor, had a clever phrase. She would say this, If the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. So many hard-working, driven people I know, Martha's, their activity is their medication for their sickness. It's their sin, frankly. They can't be alone with themselves, with their fears, with their insecurities, their past, their anxieties about the future, so they throw themselves into their work as a distraction. Then they don't have to face the gaping hole inside themselves. They are employing a coping mechanism that fits into polite society. Look how hard they work. Good for them. And hard work is good. But if you're using the activity to hide from yourself, staying busy to keep from going back to the, to the divine love that is the ground of all being, to prevent you from doing the work of the soul, then you're not really a faithful workhorse. You're an addict. I know this. From experience, this is my sin. Susan Valley was messing with me the other week. Susan Valley's moved to a new home, and she said, I was putting books in the shelves, and I kept finding your books. Well, I said, well, thank you. You should visit my website. That <laughs> <laughs> just came into my head. That's pretty good, so... How many books have you written? Oh, I wish I had that kind of drive. You know what I told her? I said, it's a sickness. I haven't written anything formally or long form in three years now. On purpose. Yakety, 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 yakety. Just, just learn to shut up and listen a while. Then you might have something to say. And that's not just for me. That's for all of us. We make ourselves busy so that we are needed but in fact, we're just needy. It's not that we don't have time to think. 
we don't want to take the time to think. We're not out to achieve something. We're trying to become something. Hoping that the MVP, Employee of the Month, Top Producer, Rising Star Awards will scratch that itch. We are not doing worthy work as much as we are trying to prove ourselves worthy. And it amounts to running around the kitchen as if your hair is on fire. Throwing the party. When the real action is in the sitting still. It's in the simply being at the feet of Jesus. It is in the learning to rest. The accepting, the empty-handed acceptance of being loved. Look at Mary's strength, her contentment. She's not lazy. She hasn't lost her gumption. She's got nothing to prove. She's got nothing to chase because she's already got it. And the it is enough because she is enough. And so are you. You are enough because you are loved. The real, klutzy, goofy, sometimes insecure, always second-guessing, mistake-making you. That child, that beloved child who is eternally on the mind of God, that is who you are. And if you can get back to that childlike understanding, sitting with this, contemplating this, reflecting quietly on this, resting at the feet of Jesus, it might begin to sink in. And that's the answer to my earlier question. How do I get back there? How do I return to the beloved identity of a child? How do I get more in touch with God's love for me? Learn to be still. It's not by running on and on, job after job, checklist after checklist. It's not about talking about it or endless Bible studies about it. Not by working for it. Not by trying to get more of it. It's just there. God's love is just there. Like the ground beneath your feet. Sit down on it. Find it. Rumi said, your task is not to seek God's love. It is to simply find all the barriers that you have built against it. And how do I do that? He continues, the quieter you become, the more you are able to hear. God's love has never changed. It has never moved. We are the ones who move away from it. We are the ones who change. As Don Henley wrote in that song we sang this morning, Learn to be still. Like sheep without a shepherd, we don't know how to be alone. So we wander around this desert and follow the wrong God's home. Stop wandering. Because you're already home. Learn to be still. I wrote a column a couple weeks ago about when we lived in Elijay by the Kartike River. It's a good Cherokee Indian word, Kartike. It means valley of bread. And uh, the Kartike is just this tiny little river that runs by our house, ran by our house there in Georgia. And uh, you could wade into it. In fact, I think I have a slide. This is Braden's baptism uh, 10 years ago. I don't know. He was, much, he was shorter than me then. 
And you can see we're, we're in the middle of the river there uh, as he went, and that water was cold. It's always cold. And you can just wade out into that river. I mean, it's, it's not a stream. It, it, river is in his name. And if you've got a sturdy stick and half a person's balance, off you go. You can go all the way across it, and the water is never much higher than your waist. A couple of days after Christmas a few years ago, I saw things change. We had in LJ a 24-inch rain in a day. And that little river went 15 feet out of its banks. And I went down to see it standing there. And the little river that my son had been baptized in that I could stand in with no assistance, literal barns and houses were going by. They had just calved off the side of those Appalachian Hills. And they were going downstream, and they all went downstream till they reached this bridge that was crossing over Highway 52, and they were all just smashing against the bridge and going into pieces. I've never seen anything like it. And life is just like that. You know, you get busy, and you can wade out into it and keep your balance, can't you? I got this. And then... It just keeps coming. And one day you're, you're, you're no longer in a stream up to your waist. You're, 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 you're dodging kayakers and chicken houses and gas tanks and tractors. <laughs> it's just all coming. And so you have to make a choice then. I'm going to let this swamp me and destroy me. Either drown me or bash my brains in. Or I have got to get out and get to solid ground. That's what it means to be still. You're going to have to wade into the water. Because we all have work to do. But you can't stay there when it's too much. That's what Jesus is teaching us. You want a real identity that undergirds everything you do. The love of God that supports you, sustains you, and gives you your worth and your acceptance. Then find it on the solid ground outside of the fray that we throw ourselves into thinking that this will really make us something. And it will destroy us until we're worried and anxious about many things and we have forgotten the one thing, the it that Mary found at the feet of Jesus.